This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Bryce, are you seeing red in the market right now? I am. What opportunities are you taking advantage of? Some of the massive tech stocks that are off 80%. Well, you are not too dissimilar to many of Stake's customers. They're watching their over 450,000 investors accessing many different opportunities on the platform. Some like you are jumping into oversold tech stocks. Some are jumping into gold-related companies on the ASX. Others are investing in American ETFs that go up when the market goes down. And some are buying their favorite Australian and American blue chips, thinking there's value in them right now. That's it, Ren, with access to 8,000 stocks and ETFs across Wall Street and the ASX all in one slick app. There really is opportunity in any market condition at stake. Plus, their fees are the lowest in town. $0 US trades and $3 chess-sponsored ASX trades. <laughs> Love that. We hate fees here at Equity Mates. So what opportunities will you take advantage of? Join Stake today and stake your claim to the future. Visit hellostake.com or find them in the App Store. And remember, this does not constitute financial advice. Equity Mates. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. Um, we love doing industry deep dives here, yes. uh, but our friends over at Stake challenged us to do, I guess, an industry deep dive of the future. That's right, Ren. Over the next three episodes, we're going to be doing a deep dive on industries that will be shaping Australia's future. Yes. Yeah, it's all thanks to Stake in celebration of uh, their launch on the ASX. You can stake your claim to the future and invest on Wall Street and the ASX with Stake. That's it. Well, if you're going to stake your claim to the future, you need to think about the future yes. and I mean, that is essentially what investing is, casting your mind forward and thinking about what companies, what industries, what markets will be bigger in the future. And so this is pretty exciting. Well, I got really excited and people can't see our notes, but I went deep on the notes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But over the next three Fridays, uh, we'll be releasing three bonus episodes. This one, we'll be talking about agriculture yep. and the future of agriculture and how how there are a number of Australian companies on the forefront of, I guess, the next generation of agriculture. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about the future of minerals. Australia is a country blessed by resources mm-hmm. and um, mining is obviously a big part of our economy. And while what we mine may change, we will probably move away from oil and gas and coal uh, the the fact that we mine won't change. Yep. Um, so we're going to look at what Australia's future mining industry could look like. And then finally, we're going to talk about advanced manufacturing. And, I'm looking forward to that uh, one. The, some may say that the manufacturing industry died when Toyota left our shores uh, earlier this century, but there's a number of new technologies that are bringing manufacturing 
back to Australia, America, Western countries that lost their manufacturing industries. So we're pretty excited to talk about that one as well. So three big topics. Some really big topics, all of which, yeah, really focusing on Australia's future industries and staking your claim to the future. So Ren, in this episode, we are covering agriculture. We'll be looking at the challenge of feeding an exponentially growing population and some of the big improvements in improving farm yields how these investments have yielded plenty of new and exciting technologies, some examples of these new technologies. I'm really looking forward to that bit. Uh, How some of these technologies are being integrated and then um, we might have a quick chat about some stocks as well. We will. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about uh, plenty of Australian companies. There's uh, many that are listed, some that are not, and it is just a small handful. Like, you didn't want me to go any deeper than this. (laughs) I was like, stop. (laughs) You know, Australia in the 1950s uh, was said to ride on a sheep's back. Yes. Then probably in the last couple of decades, we rode on miners' shoulders. Mm. Maybe in the future we're going to ride on self-driving tractors farming genetically modified crops. (laughs) That's exactly what we'll be doing. (laughs) But look, let's talk about the future of Australian agriculture. And I want to start with the answer. What does the future look like? Well, today Australia exports about $49 billion worth of agricultural products Mm -hmm. a year. Not small. No, pretty significant. Yeah, pretty meaningful. The CSIRO predicts by 2050 that number will be $120 billion. Wow. So more than double. Now, that's just export, but you can sort of see that there's a lot of growth expected in the industry, mm. and that growth is expected in the context of a harsher climate, more nat- natural disasters, and also no more land. Like, Australia isn't getting any bigger, and so... That a lot of that is going to come from increased farm productivity, better farm yields, better resource use, and technology has a massive role to play there. And so that's really going to be the focus on this episode because that's really exciting. And like there's some Australian companies doing pretty exciting things in that space of agricultural technology to improve farm yields. Yeah. But let's talk about the bigger challenge, the world's challenge Huge. that really contextualizes a lot of these technological developments. So roughly 800 million people, Ren, unfortunately suffer from hunger worldwide. And and we've spoken there about by 2050, CSIRO predicts that we're going to be exporting $120 billion worth of agriculture. Estimates are that the world's population by that time will be 9.7 billion people with Australia's population just under 36 million so that's pretty significant growth from a population standpoint. Where are we now? 26 million thereabouts in, in Australia? Australia? Yeah. yeah. And about what, 7 billion globally? Yeah. yeah. So a lot, of, a lot of mouths to feed. And the UN's Food and Agricultural Organization also forecast that the average consumer will actually be demanding more calories than the average person today. And this is largely driven by that rise of the middle class. Mm. So if we just pause there, there's already 800 million people that suffer from hunger today. Mm. The world's population is growing exponentially and expected to be just shy of 10 billion by 2050. And of those people, the majority of them will demand more calories uh, than they consume today. Um, So it's becoming ever more challenging to feed these people. Well, and there's there's no more agricultural land being found, really. Um, So the UN uh, predict that agricultural production will have to rise by 70% by 2050 to meet that projected demand. Um, 
Oliver Weinman, the World Government Summit, they've all found similar numbers around that 70% more food by 2050. Mm. That's the challenge that the world faces as we sit here today. Mm. So how are we going to achieve it? We can't just procure more land. That's that's one one sort of tick box that we can't we can't tick. There's no suitable land really available to to, to farm. Generally and, speaking, and if people come at us and say chop down more trees, yeah. well then you get into the whole is that good for the environment exactly. and climate change concerns. People might say, oh well, the permafrost in Siberia and uh, Russia will melt, and that will create more farming land. <laughs> you can't but count on all these. On things. the whole, <laughs> yeah, the land that we have is the land that we have, and we have to get more productive with it. So then that raises the next point, which is the only way we can do this is to get growth from higher yields. Yeah, and, and the world has seen higher yields before. The mechanisation of agriculture in the early 1900s, the agricultural chemical revolution in sort of the 50s and the 60s, but in a lot of the world we're seeing uh, yields plateauing at the moment and so there needs to really be a Gear change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's the starting point. That's the context for a lot of the investments in the technologies that we're going to be talking about today. So... We are seeing big investments coming through. Uh, I think we've spoken about John Deere a couple of times and um, we'll get to them, I'm, I'm sure. Oh, we will talk about them. <laughs> and also, I, it's just Deere now. Oh, Deere. Yeah, true. Yeah, 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 true. But these big investments are proving to be fruitful and, um, you know, plenty of technologies are now starting to emerge from, from these big investments in agricultural technology that hopefully will really give us this big gear change that we need to, well, to get this 70% improvement or growth in agriculture. Yeah. And I think it was the economist that had the headline, smart farms, Silicon Valley meets Central Valley. Like that's the kind of, um, that's the kind of direction that uh, at least the media sort of have us heading in. And when we think about where the investments in Silicon Valley are being made, it's obviously like software and like hardware, like technology. And then also more recently, we're seeing biology, um, mm. human biology being a big focus for Silicon Valley. And they're the two sort of broad buckets that we're going to talk about today in terms of the investments being made. In that article from The Economist, here's how they describe farming. And I guess this is how Silicon Valley and sort of the technologists who are approaching farming are approaching it. Okay. One way to view farming is as a branch of matrix algebra. A farmer must constantly juggle a set of variables such as weather, his soil's moisture levels and nutrient nutrient content, competition to his crops from weeds, threats to their health from pests and disease, and the costs of taking action to deal with these things. If he does the algebra correctly or it is done on his behalf, he will optimize his yield and maximize his profits. So each of those variables there, well, I mean, you studied uh, matrix algebra, you can talk <laughs> well, to that. Well, I was just going to say, dad was actually a farmer and so I've had plenty of uh, stories from him about him having to juggle all of these things mm. and if you don't get one of the pieces of the formula correct, then you can be in a world of trouble. Yeah. yeah. And so basically thinking of it like a branch of matrix algebra where there's a bunch of inputs and they then determine a bunch of outputs... Silicon Valley has really gone to attack each of those variables mm. and found ways to improve them, better control them, better monitor them. 
And look, this isn't new. So we said we'll speak about John Deere. We'll try or Deere. We'll try not to speak about them too much. But the the application of Silicon Valley technology to farming is not new at all. So I don't want this to come across as like what we're talking about now is revolutionary. An early example uh, that's often spoken about was Deere's decision in 2001 to add GPS sensors to their tractors. And it basically made them possible to know if they'd covered ground before or if they'd missed ground. Estimates were that it reduced fuel bills by 40% uh, and then it improved, improved the application of fertilizer, herbicides, pesticides. So a pretty simple application of technology to reduce costs and improve resources. Yeah, imagine driving around the farm on your tractor and you kind of forgotten where you've gone. It'd, it'd be <laughs> incredibly inefficient. Have I done that bit over yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I reckon 20 years from now, we will look back on farming practices now and think the same thing about yeah. like not understanding at a plant level yeah, yeah, like sure. moisture content and stuff like that which for we'll get sure. into Rookies. but we'll be like how did we just know these things rather than track well, and monitor each of them no in inverted commas well yeah yeah so let's uh let's move to these new technologies ren because that's the exciting part this is where the future lies this is where you can really start to sort of stake your claim on the back of australia's future industries there's self-driving tractors there's drones sensors and internet of things automated irrigation satellite photography and sensors as we said analytics software for pest control soil management you name it Silicon Valley is focusing on all aspects of this uh, algebra matrix. But today we're going to focus on three really big examples. Sensors and farm management systems is the first. Farm robots and self-driving machinery is the second. And then the big one to close out, genome editing. Mm. Pretty massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sensors and farm management, Ren. Internet of things. Internet of things vibes. What if you don't have internet as a farmer? Well, honestly, doing the research for this, like having good internet yeah. is going to be critical. Yeah. yeah. So I used to work for Telstra back in the day in my first year out of school. And this is in Wagga, uh, sort of a large country town, largest inland city in New South Wales for those that are unaware. And man, did I cop it from farmers about their lack of yeah. reception and, and internet. So it's a crucial part to this. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's not go too far down that rabbit hole, but <laughs> yeah, I mean sorry. like maybe satellite internet, Starlink, stuff like that, but also, you know, the national broadband network. All of They're that not stuff. rolling that out to middle of Australia, are they? I think that was the intention. Intention. And then they kind of gutted it and it was too <laughs> yeah. expensive. Anyway, yeah, yeah. sorry, but I yes. derailed that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the story of sensors and farm management systems is a story of trying to monitor and track as many inputs as possible to maximize the efficiency of resource use and um, to improve yields. So things like moisture levels, mineral content, nutrients in soil, there are sensors being developed that can track all of those things and then report all of that to a farm management system, to mm. software. So that's, you know, like you, you would put sensors in the ground when you're growing crops. But then there's also sensors being attached to moving machinery that can take measurements on the run. Um, so, for example, when farmers are spraying crops, uh, there's a multispectral sensor that can be mounted on a tractor that can estimate the nitrogen needs of crops and then adjust the dose accordingly, only spraying what needs to be sprayed as much as it needs to be sprayed, uh, maximizing the efficiency of resources. 
Uh, but it's not just moving on the ground. It's also sensors in the sky. So they're seeing, uh, we're seeing drones develop. Uh, well, we're seeing drones have sensors attached to them. Uh, and then they can do things like measure the amount of plant cover and distinguish between crops and weeds. Again, using this multispectral analysis, they can look at how plants are absorbing different wavelengths of sunlight and discover which crops are doing well and which are not. This is just a data gathering yeah, exercise. Really, the long and the short of it is like what data matters and how do we get as much of it as possible? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's pretty epic. And The Economist, uh, Ren, profiled a Californian almond farmer who has put this into practice, installed a, a moisture sensors across his farm that control his irrigation system. And every half hour, the irrigation system will release water and fertilizer if required, but only as much as the system or sensors say is required. Now, here's a stat that kind of blew my mind. Dutch researchers found that it takes 3.8 litres of water to produce one almond. Yeah. <laughs> That's nuts. I don't think I'm going to eat almonds anymore. But um, the Californian farmer has cut his water usage by 20% off the back of this. Yeah. So still incredibly high on <laughs> yeah. a per almond basis. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. 20% reduction when you're talking that much water is huge. It's big. Yeah. yeah, big. And when you think about that much water use, it does make you think about the environmental credentials of almond milk. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. But look, these sensors aren't just for plants. They're being used for cattle who are getting their own sensors, devices that sit inside an animal's stomach. They measure the stomach acidity. So they've been around for years. Yeah, right. I don't know how many years, but several apparently. I wonder how the this animal is, doesn't pass them out. This is very much two city boys. I know you're from the country, <laughs> but this is very much two city boys talking farming. <laughs> nah, um, tech farming. <laughs> true, true, true. So we're reading about new movement detectors that have been developed that, again, transfer transfer information back. They've found to be a good indicator if a cow is going lame because that, I guess they, they start to move less. Um, apparently a fifth of British cattle suffer from going lame and if it's treated early, it's easily treated, but if it's missed and it lingers, it often means the animal has to be put down. And so these sensors have been basically an early warning system so that's pretty cool there's also a whole bunch of information about detectors that show if a cow is ready for insemination again you know if you're trying to breed more animals getting that stuff right matters um so yeah sensors not just for plants not just for plants but look it sounds like there's so much data now being collected that it begs the question how we're managing it all and of course with that comes SAS, software as a service uh, and these are, I guess, proprietary platforms that are going to be sitting somewhere on the farm and, and are going to be collating all of this and giving recommendations and, and telling the farmers how to best manage all of the data that's coming in. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, there, there were also some that we read about that integrate like all of these other data sources. You know, they partner with like satellite imaging providers and weather forecast um, sure, operators yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's just like, it is just like, your soil's this moisture, but we're expecting some rain at this point, so you should be putting water on at this point and yeah. giving some food then. Yeah. yeah perfect. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. But then the second part of the story. So at this point, we're pulling in heaps more data than we have ever been able to before, and we are building software solutions to analyze that data. Then the question is, what do you do with that data? And the next thing that we're going to talk about is, I guess, 
the doing of it all Mm -hmm. because less and less it's going to be humans and in the future more and more it will be automated machinery. So farmers are going to have to really be across all this tech, engineering, coding. Well, who knows? Well, I know. Like we use technology (laughs) and we don't know how to code. Speak for for yourself. (laughs) So yeah, farm robots and self-driving machinery, Ren. These are the the guys that are going to be doing it or the guys and girls that are going to be doing it. Robots. The inanimate object yeah we'll be doing it (laughs) this mirrors a lot of what we talk about with self-driving cars in some ways like this technology is being developed but the applications of it are much more than getting us on a road from a to b we said we wouldn't talk about deer too much but in january of this year deer revealed a fully autonomous tractor that's ready for large-scale production uh so it combines uh their tractor with a plow, a GPS guidance system, and a bunch of new advanced technologies. So we might not have self-driving cars yet, but we do apparently have a self-driving tractor. Yeah. At least one that they unveiled at a show. Yeah. I don't know if it's at Made production level. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Nikola truck that yeah. rolled down the hill. <laughs> but like it's coming, I think is the long and the short of it. So that's one example. But what we're seeing a lot of examples of recently are uh, or over the last few years, are robots to help fruit and vegetable growers. Yeah. And I think there's a real problem to be solved there because fruit picking, vegetable picking is a lot of it is picked by hand. It's time-consuming, repetitive, low-wage work. It's so hard to get workers that in Australia we tell British backpackers that they have to go and pick fruit if they want to stay in Australia for a certain period of time. Mm. It's prime for automation and there are a bunch of companies working on it. Amazon, for one, has acquired a strawberry robot. Well, a company that makes a strawberry picking <laughs> robot. <laughs> have you picked strawberries before? I haven't. I'm yeah. a city boy. <laughs> true, true. I have. I'd love to see this robot in action because it's quite a specific action getting down there and picking up. Picking up. So I'm you know assuming what? it's I, driven by AI. But. I had a bunch of notes about how it's operated and then I figured... In it doesn't for, matter. For the point of like keeping this episode <laughs> yeah, short, I think it's the right how move. it picks is not that important and it, that's the one question you've asked. It's the right move. Let's I think it's something about like suction and then it has a blade that cuts the stem. Okay, that would be good. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes a From lot of sense. From your experience? Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of experience. <laughs> so, yeah, Amazon acquired this company. I think it was like an aqua hire thing for them because they, they bought Zooks a while ago, the self-driving car startup. There's a bunch of others. There's a big Spanish one that's been around for years. But we're talking about the future of Australia and one of Australia's biggest universities is on the forefront of a lot of this work. The University of Sydney has an Australian centre for field robotics and they developed Ripper, Robot for Intelligent Perception and Precision Application, a four-wheeled solar-powered device that identifies weeds in fields of vegetables and zaps them individually with precisely aimed doses of herbicide. Wow, there you go. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Go Australia. Go Australia. <laughs> Bryce, I'm going to coin a saying at the top of this ad read. All right, here we go. There's opportunity in the market on any day that ends in a Y. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like it? That's a long coin, but it's true. Yeah, it it's is. true. No, no, no. It's true. The, you don't print it on a coin. <laughs> you just coin it. That's true. That's true. And uh, look... Stake are seeing there are over 450,000 traders access many different opportunities on their platform on any day ending in Y. 
Some are bo- <laughs> jumping into gold-related companies on the ASX. Others are investing in US ETFs that go up when the market goes down. Some are buying some of their favorite blue chips, thinking there's value in them right now. Wherever you see the opportunity, with access to over 8,000 stocks and ETFs across Wall Street and the ASX, all in one slick app, there really is opportunity in any market condition on stake. And it keeps getting better. Their fees are the lowest in town. $0 US trades and $3 chess-sponsored ASX trades. The question is, what opportunities are you going to take advantage of? Join Stake today and stake your claim to the future. Visit hellostake.com or find them in the App Store. This is not an opportunity you'd want to miss. And remember, this does not constitute financial advice. Well, Ren, let's close out the third of the big um, topics, and that's genome editing. Pretty chunky topic, but this is really where the future starts to unfold on the farm. Yeah, and this is a continuation of something that has been happening for generations in terms of breeding crops, Mm. breeding animals, Mm. um, selecting for certain traits. A lot of the agricultural revolution of the 50s and 60s was driven by us crop breeding and um, not genetic, genetically modifying crops. That came a bit later, but um, I guess breeding them in certain ways and that massively increased yield. But now the ability to go in and edit individual um, like parts of a plant or an animal's DNA with CRISPR will just take this to another level. Mm. Pull me out of the weeds if I get too far, but let me give you some examples from the research that we found. Okay. So crop strains created this way are already coming to market. Aquamax and Artisan are drought tro- tolerant strains of maize that have been developed by DuPont and Syngenta res- uh, respectively. There are animals that have been uh, developed to grow faster. Mm. So Aqua Bounties, Atlantic Salmon. Yeah, Salmon. Uh, now cleared in both the US and Canada to be sold. They basically took a gene from a Chinook salmon that allows it to put weight on all year round, not just in the spring and summer. Mm -hmm. And that's halved the time the fish, the Atlantic salmon, will uh, take to reach marketable size. There's a bunch of research uh, being done on disease resistance for animals. Researchers in Norway have uh, used some of these techniques to create fish that are resistant to sea lice and a pancreas disease. Um, And now they're also looking at other diseases. In Japan, similar work has been done on trout to make them immune to a number of diseases. Uh, In pigs, uh, researchers in Scotland have edited genes to make them immune to African swine flu. We could keep going, but we probably shouldn't because I don't know if this is great <laughs> There's content. There's plenty of others. <laughs> Sleeping sickness, you heard of that? No. Well, it's a huge killer of livestock and researchers in Nairobi have uh, edited genes of, of cattle to make it resistant. There you go. And then finally, the other field of work, I guess, is just animal welfare more generally. So cattle with horns um, often have to have their horns removed because they are dangerous to work with, which is painful, messy. Um, But researchers have found a way to edit uh, certain cattle's DNA so they don't have horns horns in the first place. so again, like that's that doesn't change. That's just a welfare plan yeah, more yeah. than anything else. So there's a bunch of stuff going on, but Bryce, I've saved the most exciting example for last. Okay, this is probably the most ambitious uh, 
attempt. Okay. Uh, the United States Department of Agriculture, uh, their Agricultural Research Service, and I think one researcher in particular uh, has proposed redesigning the photosynthesis process wow. in ways evolution has not yet discovered. And basically what they want to do is actually edit chlorophyll molecules in order to capture a wider range of light frequencies, meaning they'll be able to generate energy more effectively. And they're also looking at ways to edit plant molecules to absorb more carbon dioxide, uh, which together they hope will be faster growing, higher yielding plants. Wow. Like... Yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. That's, uh, playing with evolution. That I is guess. playing yeah. with evolution. So some pretty amazing technologies there. And if you're wondering what is the point of all of this discussion, well, this part of the episode, we're now actually going to chat about the companies that are integrating and commercializing these in Australia. Now, not all of them are going to be listed companies. Some of them are still private and we are by no means saying whether or not these are good investments. We're not going to talk about what they're trading at in terms of valuation or anything like that. We don't even know if their technology works. Um, we're just going to be giving you a sense of some of the companies that are working on the future of agriculture in Australia so that you can start thinking about it from your investment uh portfolio, I guess. And this is about staking your claim to the future and you can invest on Wall Street and the ASX with stake. So Ren, let's dive into it. Yeah. Well, if we just put a bow on the technology we spoke about before, what the future of agriculture looks like if this technology develops is optimized plants or animals uh, that are monitored and tracked to the nth degree mm -hmm. and then a fleet of autonomous machinery that can then act on whatever information they're getting. Like that's that's sort of the vision yep. that Silicon Valley has for a farm. Pretty good vision. As non-farm boys, <laughs> I don't know how realistic that is. The exciting thing for Australia is that our companies, our researchers, our universities are on the forefront of a lot of this work. Yeah. And so we've pulled out a few examples. Well, we've pulled out a number of examples, but this is by no means a comprehensive list. So let's start with one that one of our mates actually speaks about a lot, Future Feed. Yeah, Future Feed. So Future Feed, Ren, was established by the CSIRO in 2020, and they are a livestock feed supplement company. Their product is um, livestock feed made from seaweed that significantly reduces methane emissions and may potentially increase livestock pr productivity. Now, why is this exciting? Well, the CSIRO estimates that if just 10% of the world's livestock farmers adopted Future Feed as an ingredient it would have the same effect as removing 100 million cars from the world's roads. That's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Go to CSIRO. Asparagopsis seaweed is the key ingredient. Nice. Ever heard of it before? Well, I have because one of our mates is obsessed with this company. Well, yeah, it's a pretty impressive product and, and one that is obviously going to have significant uh, benefit to, to climate change if if it is adopted. Mm. Another company, so this I learned about in my time at Coles and just another example of how Coles is on the forefront of innovation uh, and supporting Australia's agricultural industry and so much better than Woolies as an employer. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
No, so Sundrop Farms, um, they basically took this non-arable land, this land that you couldn't grow anything on in one of the driest parts of South Australia near Port Augusta, and they built a giant solar-powered tomato-growing facility uh, on this land that wasn't really being used. They produce 350 tonnes of tomatoes a week, fully solar-powered, so they've got their own full solar power set up there that they produce all their own power. But they also use that power to – they run a desalination plant and they desalinate their own seawater to then um, use on the farm. So the fact that it's all in greenhouses allows them to grow tomatoes all year round rather than just in the warmer months. That's why – Coles aren't importing as much tomatoes or as woolies. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, that's just like a really exciting application of a number of new technologies. Well, desalination's been around for a while, but they're desalinating their own water, use of solar panels, like really modern greenhouses as well to turn a non-arable, dry part of South Australia into an incredibly productive farming yeah yeah Yeah. it's fascinating so another one ran abundant produce now you may have heard it uh, it was listed with ticker abt but then it asked to be delisted in 2020 it is translating i'm imagining incredibly complex world-class australian bioscience into shareable valuable ip yeah it's a it's a collaboration of the university of sydney university of new south wales and they're basically trying to develop plant ip so this is in this whole uh like gene editing or Mm. accelerated breeding um trying to develop i guess new strains of crops that are more drought resistant or higher yielding or faster growing or or whatever it is but um a lot of it is outside my circle of competence but i still think it's pretty cool work Yeah. yeah another sort of technology that was coming to to the forefront when I was working at Woolies was the concept of indoor vertical farming. Yep. Uh, it was really taking off in Japan, actually. They have pretty impressive technologies over there. But a company here in Australia that's in the game is Roto Grow. RGI uh, is the ticker. And it designs and manufactures technology that really helps provide solutions for the vertical farming industry. And if you're trying to think what we're talking about or imagine what we're talking about, Think about large rooms where you've just got sort of plant beds piled up on it, on top of each other and you can really start to control things like climate, specific irrigation, fertiliser and I guess grow product and, and agricultural products in times when you wouldn't otherwise not be able to. You would maybe be surprised to know that the Netherlands is the second largest exporter of agricultural products around the world. Wow. You wouldn't, doesn't have a lot of land. Vertical farming. Uh, well, a lot of... I'm sure some of it's vertical, but just glass houses. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Galore. Yeah. So let's keep going down the list because there's a lot of companies that we can talk about and a lot that we're going to have to leave out. Have you heard of um, Dirty Clean Food, the brand? No. Do you drink oat milk? No. Nah. Neither do I. But anyway, uh, wide open agriculture, developing several plant-based products. Um, this oat milk, they're now supplying woolies, but they create plant-based dairy, plant-based meat, uh, a bunch of other stuff. So not quite the Beyond Meat or Impossible Food level, but um, a good Australian company doing the thing. Go wide open meat. W-A-O-A is the ticker. 
So then we've got Roots Sustainable Agricultural Technology, ROO, and they're an ag tech company focused on developing, producing, and commercializing precision agricultural technologies. When you spoke about the picker of strawberries and or the technology that can pinpoint one weed in the ground, this is probably where Roots Sustainable Ag starts playing. Yeah, they're not quite at that level yet. <laughs> also, uh, something, something's happened. Their share price is just tanked. They're like trading at less than a cent. Oh, wow. So in the spirit of uh, <laughs> we didn't research the company's financials, yeah. we are just looking at what their technology is because we're uh, talking about the future of farming. Yeah. This is a case in point. <laughs> <laughs> what else have we got? Uh, Biogene Technology, BGT, um, working on the next generation of novel insecticides We've got CropLogic, CLI, um, who are doing a bunch of uh, agricultural technology, including soil moisture monitoring, aerial imagery, uh, farm management s- systems, a bunch mm. of other stuff, uh, yield predictions as part of that. So that was monitor everything possible. Um, there's a bunch of bigger Australian agricultural companies that are also investing in this technology and like finding ways to integrate or partner with technology providers. But I think we have discussed enough names. Yeah, well, that was five listed. But as you said, there's plenty more. And I'm sure as we've just discussed, it's a a huge opportunity for Australia. So I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing more and more come to market um, or at least become listed, which is exciting. I think like when you think about how this technology is going to roll out, like a lot of these pure play companies that we spoke about are the ones that may be focused on developing it. But the companies that see the benefit from it, well, like these companies see the benefit if it works, but, you know, like if there's something that helps cattle, you know, grow faster or not suffer from diseases, it'll be like the Australian agricultural company of the world that benefits. Or if there's something, uh, you know, like new agricultural chemicals or different things that can help crops, it'll be the new farms of the world that benefit. Like in the same way that deer is the giant in agricultural machinery and, um, they acquired a bunch of companies over the journey to make them best in class when it comes to automated machinery and now they're unveiling self-driving tractors. Mm, mm. That's sort of the way that this all this technology gets developed now. The um, big incumbents cherry-pick what they want from the smaller players. That's it. That's how it works. <laughs> they either buy or they acquire or they figure out a way to copy That's like it. Facebook. So, Ren, to close out this, uh, the convo, uh, we should probably tie it up with what the experts predict the future of Australia's agriculture industry could look like with this new technology, especially in export markets, given that we've got Asia on our doorstep and uh, a growing middle class over there. And this episode is all about the future of Australian industry. So how, how are we seeing this from, well, what are the experts telling us here? We said we'd start with the answer. And so to go back to that, the CSIRO predict that by 2050 out, the value of our agricultural exports will rise from $49 billion today to $120 billion a year. So there's a growing market, which I think is the, the first thing. Um, in terms of then what farms will look like, it's, it's what we spoke about when we spoke spoke about that technology it is just unbelievable unfathomable levels of data being collected and then a lot more targeted and individualized actions as a result Um, rather than farming at a field level you'll be farming at a crop level 
like an individual plant level, sorry. I think with technology, we see bigger operations. And I, I when I say I think, I mean I've read. <laughs> <laughs> and that sort of follows a trend that has been playing out for the last 100 years. And as more and more capital costs are required yeah. to farm, the barriers to entry for smaller players are higher. And if we start talking about self-driving tractors and sensors across fields and stuff like that, you need to fractionalise those costs over more and more scale. Mm. And so that theme that has been playing out over the last 100 years will likely continue to play out. We pulled out that Economist headline that was Silicon Valley meets Central Valley and talking about the sort of tech influence, a lot of the articles that you read talk about farming resembling more manufacturing in the future and it will um, have as much machinery and automation as possible, trying to be as efficient as possible with cost and resources. That's sort of directionally a lot of the articles we were reading in researching for this. So Mm. that's, I guess, how... People in the industry, people who know a lot more than us, think about this going forward. Yeah. But I guess, Bryce, the big question, the question that the world is asking itself at the moment is can we increase farm yields by 70% by 2050? Can we feed that 9.7 billion population? Well, Ren, to close out on a very positive note, The Economist, who says there is no crystal ball that can predict whether... or not, we will be able to do this. But on past form, it does seem perfectly plausible that by 2050, the planet will grow 70% more food than it did in 2009, as we know we need to. Seems perfectly plausible isn't the level of certainty that I would hope for. (laughs) (laughs) But look, I I back it in. I back Australia in these technologies. The speed at which these technologies are coming to market, I think is phenomenal. And if we're to stake our claim to the future, this is a, certainly an in industry, a future industry here in Australia that um, is providing a lot of excitement for me. Yeah. yeah, and it's not just us that are saying this is the future. It's the CSIRO, it's the government, it's um, uh, a lot of people. So when we're thinking about the future, we rode here on a sheep's back, we'll ride <laughs> into the future on a self-driving tractor. Love it. Um, but it's an industry that if you're... Or robotic sheep. Okay, okay. A plant-based robotic sheep. Yes. Explain that. If you're in Australia, if you're listening from overseas and you're wondering what does Australia's future economy look like, it seems like agriculture will be a bigger part of it. That's it. So stake your claim to the future. Invest on Wall Street and the ASX with Stake. For more information on what Stake does, head to hellostake.com. A big thank you to them for supporting this episode. And we have two more exciting episodes coming up where we'll be unpacking uh, a couple of other industries for Australia's future. So, Ren, always great to chat stocks and exciting things happening in the world of tech and business, and we'll pick it up again next week. Hey, Bryce. Uh-huh. I'm going to play a game. Yeah. Would you rather... Yes. Zip or Zoom? Zoom. Magellan or Microsoft? No comment. <laughs> Perpetual or Peloton? No. Jeez, oh, Perpetual. Uh, Alphabet or Afterpay? Alphabet. Uh, block or... BHP. Block. Well, the good thing is you don't have to choose if you're with Stake who offer you both Wall Street and the ASX at your fingertips. That's it. They have a slick, clean interface, Ren. 
and you are in control of over 6,000 US stocks and ETFs and also over 2,000 ASX stocks and ETFs. You get a wallet for your USD and AUD and can move money between the two at a touch of a button inside an app. So if you want Magellan or Microsoft, Perpetual or Peloton, Zoom or Zip, they are all at your fingertips. So easy. You can check who's up, who's down, who's trending on both markets all within the app. You can invest with the lowest fees in town, $0 US trades and $3 ASX trade. Ren, the opportunity is at your fingertips. We live in a global world and you can invest globally. You can invest in Tesla on Wall Street and the lithium mining companies back here in Australia that help power Tesla's batteries. Not bad. Not bad. So join (laughs) Stake today at hellostake.com or find them in your app store. And remember, this does not constitute financial advice. Especially Bryce's Would You Rather game. Especially that. (laughs) Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Equity Mates. We love hearing from you. So drop us a line at contact at equitymates.com or even better, go to your podcast player and leave a five-star review. Also, a reminder that the Equity Mates content train doesn't stop when you've run out of episodes to binge. We've got a brand new website, a Facebook discussion group. We're on Instagram, YouTube, and slowly making our way as an influencer on TikTok. Well, that's Ren. So uh, come and say hello and join the community. We'd love to welcome you. Until next time. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equitymates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.